we'll just leave that all in because it's another Sequoia joke. And instead, I will just laugh. <laughs> What's great is like, that probably should sound fine, but the three of us know. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Hello, sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our mother's meatloaf dinner and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table letting others solve the mysteries instead. Our contestants this week are co-hosts of Fanatical Fix. We have Kim and Sequoia. Sequoia also, who is the host of a new podcast, But Make It Scary, which I was on and is very good. I think my episode was very good in particular. And they are here to solve some mysteries for from Encyclopedia Brown. So Kim and Sequoia, how is it going? It's going really good. I'm really glad we got Encyclopedia Brown. I'm so stoked. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Encyclopedia Brown's maybe a little more difficult. I think Scooby-Doo is more difficult than Encyclopedia Brown, in my opinion. Okay. (laughs) Based on your track record, you said before recording, you went through a rigorous training process of listening to the episodes of Meddling Adults and Prep. Yes. You were more hard-pressed to solve the Scooby-Doo mysteries? Yes. Really, I just had to get it all together because I have to beat Kim. I have to for my pride. Wow. I mean, yeah, I am winning the game we play on our show. Exactly. I have to win something. (laughs) This is why I love bringing in people who have some sort of connection because anytime a grudge can get held beyond the recording, it makes me very happy. Oh, yeah. And if I can just create more chaos in the world, I feel like I've done something good to offset. You know, the podcast brings good into the world by raising money for charity. But if I can bring chaos into the lives of my friends, I think that kind of balances it out. The feng shui of the podcast is is all in line. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we'll fight about this for weeks. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Do either of you have experience with mystery stuff? Did you read them as a kid? Did you watch shows as a kid? Or is that not your cups of tea collectively? I loved Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew when I was little. I read so much Nancy Drew and none of it has stuck. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Yeah, I read Nancy Drew. My grandma was really into Encyclopedia Brown, so she bought me a bunch of Encyclopedia Brown. So I did read a bunch of those as well. But I didn't watch a ton of TV as like a little kid. So Scooby-Doo, that's probably why I have more trouble with the Scooby-Doo's because it's just sort of outside of my general scope of knowledge. (laughs) Sure. Okay, so we'll see how your various histories of mystery Huh? Oh, Ooh. wow. I just thought of that on the spot. <laughs> that was really good. Oh, boy. This is a hot recording today, baby. <laughs> we'll see how that fares, but here's how the game works. I will be recapping four mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series, Encyclopedia Brown. Specifically, all of these come from Encyclopedia Brown number 17, which was written in 1990 called Encyclopedia Brown and the Case of the Disgusting Sneakers. <laughs> so that's a fun one. I think Encyclopedia Brown's, the names of the mysteries are just so top tier. It's really solid. It's so fantastic. And I am so sad that Donald J. Sobel, rest his soul, is not with us anymore because after reading all of these mysteries, I just want to shake this man's hand because (laughs) these mysteries are great and they're all wonderful. And you see growth throughout the series. They become more accepting and Mm -hmm. more 
in line with the times and not saying weird stuff. I really appreciate <laughs> Donald's growth as an author and just all of the mysteries are so fantastic. But neither of you have read or seen these mysteries ahead of time. I'll lay out the clues. I'll ask for your accusations and each correct guess of culprit will earn you points. But there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you'll earn one Misery Loves Company bonus point. And I say incorrect because often my guesses are wrong, as you know, with my history of Harry Potter. And also there's just bonus points that I'll award for anything I see fit. If you have a particularly bonkers guess or a very spicy burn towards each other, I will throw a bonus point into the mix because 2021 has also been bad and we need joy in our lives. And that is how I bring joy. So at the end of the rounds, if there's a tie, we'll break it in the only fitting way with a sudden death riddle. But we'll see if it even comes to that before we start. It is a charity podcast. You are playing for charities. So what charity are each of you playing for? I am playing for the Trevor Project. This is a charity that runs a lot of helplines and things for LGBTQIA people to call into their support system. And they're a really great place. We actually donate to them through our podcast as well. So, oh, fantastic. We thought it was good to pick. Yeah. Great. What about you, Kim? I am playing for the Organization for Transformative Works. They are a nonprofit established to provide access to and preserve the history of fandom and fan works. A project of theirs that some people might be familiar with is Archive of Our Own. Oh, yeah. Which is an enormous repository of fan fiction. Look, it's a little self-serving, but we love them. We love them. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. That's good. Great organizations, and I'm very excited to see which of them wins. But let's put the pedal to the metal and get into the first case, the case of the fifth word. (laughs) (laughs) The titles, they're so good. They're so perfect. (laughs) So this is the first mystery in the book. And every first mystery gives you like a little explanation of Encyclopedia Brown. And they say different things each book. But one line that I really enjoyed in particular is that describing Encyclopedia Brown, it says, his pal said he was like a library and a computer rolled into one and more (laughs) user-friendly. Oh, man, a 1990s computer. (laughs) Yeah, 1990, the perfect middle ground of people being equally confused by libraries Libraries. and also computers. (laughs) I love that. So as every first mystery in Encyclopedia Brown books go, this mystery is under the format of Chief Brown, Encyclopedia's father, who's the chief of police, comes home from work with a mystery that he can't solve, and then Encyclopedia Brown solves it over dinner. Always (laughs) the first mystery. So he comes home and he says... Tim Nolan died yesterday, matter-of-factly. Like, the narrator describes it as (laughs) matter-of-factly. Mrs. Brown, not missing a beat, just goes, that name sounds familiar. Wasn't he mixed up in a jewelry robbery a few years ago? And Chief Brown says that yes. So apparently Tim Nolan, five years ago, was a suspect in a jewelry robbery where two masked men held up the Diamond Mart. So the fact that the jewelry (laughs) store is called Diamond Mart, I thought it was fantastic. And apparently they got away with a million dollars worth of jewelry. Now, in 1990, that is quite a a hefty price. That's a lot more diamonds than I would expect to find at a diamond mart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me just quick pull up my favorite website, the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, which I have been miscalling the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics. I don't know why I threw the and in there, but someone on Reddit was like, why are you doing this? I don't know. (laughs) But let's see what 1990 money is today. Do, 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 do. So $1 million in 1990 today would be worth $1.99 million. So basically double the price. Dang. (laughs) 
Diamond Mart's really carrying. They're doing great. I mean, it's fictional Florida. People got to get their jewels. Uh Where else do you go? Diamond Mart. You could go to the Diamond Boutique, but I think they would probably have less like general amounts of diamonds around. So if you're going for a robbery, you want to go for like the Diamond Mart or the Diamond Superstore. I'm imagining that Diamond Mart is like the Costco of diamonds (laughs) where it's like, I would love to get 20 necklaces for the price of 12. You have to have a membership, you need a membership card, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So Tim Nolan, this guy who died, he was questioned but never arrested because the only evidence was an eyewitness and the eyewitness wasn't confident enough in what they saw to testify against him, which from what I have learned about eyewitnesses and stuff feels like a good decision by this eyewitness. I try to avoid true crime podcasts because (laughs) ew, but... Apparently, eyewitness stuff is very bad and very inaccurate. So shout out to this Floridian eyewitness. Does not want to get involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was Tim. I don't know. Haven't seen Tim in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So Tim Nolan's partner, his alleged partner in this crime is a guy by the name of Davenport. Apparently, they had met when they were both in prison in South Carolina They became friendly because of a shared interest in codes and word puzzles. Oh, jeez. So Nolan was let out of jail first. He settled down in Idaville and started a business. What other business do you start in fictional Florida? A palm tree nursery. Yeah, you start a palm tree nursery on Palm Tree Nursery Row, the street that's just palm tree nurseries. (laughs) So... The police apparently got a warrant to search for Nolan's place, but they didn't find any jewelry. All they found was a note, and this note was attached to his will, which left everything to Davenport. But the note was a page out of a week-by-week calendar, so a Monday through Sunday page of a calendar. And on this note, it has Davenport's name and his address, and then just four words, the four words clearly in some sort of code, say NOM, N-O-M, Utes, U-T-E-S, Sweden, like the country, and Hertz, like ow. So just as those four words, they're written vertically, so one after the other. So nom, then Utes, then Sweden, then Hertz. Encyclopedia Brown takes a minute to think, closes his eyes, which is his signature, I'm got my thinking <laughs> pants on move, and he asks... Chief Brown, is there a young fir tree in Mr. Nolan's palm tree nursery? What? And Chief Brown goes, yeah, there is. There's one fir tree on the south side of the house. How did you know? And Encyclopedia Brown says, the four words say so. Oh, no. So Chief Brown is a bit confused about Encyclopedia Brown's reasoning here. And Mrs. Brown interjects saying, do you think that Nolan tried to tell Davenport by phone where the diamonds were, but he failed to reach him, so he wrote it down before he died. They reveal that the way he died is by some sort of heart issue, so I guess Nolan, like, figured his time was coming, and he was, like, mid-heart attack and wrote a secret code to his partner. Damn. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's dedication. Yeah, that's the, the running <laughs> hypothesis. But yeah, crafty work from the villain here. So Encyclopedia Brown thinks that this is what happened, and he says, quote, The code is simple, especially as it's written on a sheet from a calendar. 
Davenport will understand it easily, but it wouldn't make sense to someone who isn't looking for a hiding place. And there is much longer back and forth of Encyclopedia Brown not saying the answer just yet. <laughs> and eventually Mrs. Brown says Leroy, his actual birth name. What do the four words mean? <laughs> and Encyclopedia Brown says, you guessed it already, Mom. They tell where the jewelry's hidden. And then the narrator says, Mrs. Brown looked ready to explode with impatience. Where? <laughs> and Encyclopedia Brown smiles and said, why the jewels are under the fifth word and then it reveals what the solution is so i turn to the two of you where are the jewels hidden and what is the code oh what this is a tricky one i'm not gonna lie this one is <laughs> quite a challenge dear lord i would like to request that uh, retroactively somebody goes into the beginning of the edit and takes out that part where i said that encyclopedia browns are easy uh-huh. <laughs> word puzzles are the worst kind of puzzles i will go on the record <laughs> oh well there's two in this episode so strap in <laughs> Okay, let's see. Nam Utes Sweden hurts. Basically, Encyclopedia Brown has laid out that these four words led him to ask about fur being the fifth word. Okay. So these four words establish some sort of code. I mean, I'm not asking where it's hidden. It's very clear it's hidden under the the fir tree. tree. Uh So really, you'll get points if you understand what the code is. So the four previous words identify the pattern, and then that makes it clear that the fifth word in this case would be fur, and thus that's where the jewels are. Okay. So it's because fur is Friday. Uh-huh. Nam is Monday, Utes is Tuesday, Sweden's Wednesday, Hertz is Thursday. Yeah, they're all anagrams of the days of the week. Now, how he knew it was fur and not some other word that includes F-R-I-D-A-Y <laughs> is beyond me. So the key is that, and you are both correct, I'll give you both of the three points. That woo, is fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, the reason he knew it was fur is that specifically... All of these words are just if you remove day from it and then you have the remaining letters. So it wouldn't oh. be some other word with just fur in it. It is just explicitly the only words left at the end of Friday is F-R and I. The only word that you can make out of F-R and I are fur. Right. You got it. You nailed that word puzzle. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling alive. <laughs> I almost <laughs> solved a children's word puzzle. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this guy came up with this word code actually mid heart attack because that's really really impressive <laughs> oh, uh, i know it <laughs> so at the end of the first mystery it's tied 3 to 3 as we get into our second case the case of the rented canoes <laughs> so it is a weekend it is cloudy out but encyclopedia brown and his friend tommy barkdoll <laughs> decide regardless they are going to go and rent a canoe even if it looks like it's about to rain the names in this are so incredible davenport <laughs> barkdoll oh the names get even better because where do they go to rent canoes from captain pete's boat rental <laughs> Arg, mateys, Captain (laughs) Pete's. So they show up at Captain Pete's and Captain Pete apologizes that they're probably going to get their feet wet because he repainted all of the canoes the other day. He twisted his ankle as he was painting the last one. So he just went home. He didn't put them all away. He didn't want to drag them back into the storage shed on a messed up ankle. So they were all facing upright when the rain came overnight. So there's a little bit of water in the bottom of each canoe. But Encyclopedia Brown and Tommy are not phased by this. They're tough boys. They can deal with a little bit of some wet feet as they canoe the Idaville River. 
So Captain P says, you guys know the rules. You've been here before. And basically the rules are you're not allowed to canoe ashore unless the beach is soft. So don't scratch the bottom of the boats. And then if you see lightning, you have to come in immediately. Good rules from Captain P here. He's got a sound head on his... I assume shoulders that have the little fluffy uh, things that Captain Crunch mm-hmm. also has. Yes, and or a parrot. <laughs> We're learning mystery solving skills and boat safety skills today. It's fantastic. What an educational book we have here. Yeah, exactly. I think we especially need to know boat safety skills living in the landlocked state of Utah. Mm-hmm. It's really important for us to know those boat safety skills. Well, is there not the Salt Lake? We do not go Don't near go the there. Salt Lake. It smells very bad. Oh, does it? Really? It smells awful. Oh no. That's so sad. Do people really not do anything on the lake because it smells that bad or just you two? There are <laughs> rowing teams at high schools, I've heard. Yeah. But I do not go near the lake. <laughs> I think people do do stuff over there, but you I said prefer... do do. Oh my God. <laughs> Kim gets a bonus point for pointing that out. Oh my God. <laughs> We reward immaturity here. Oh, encouraging this behavior. <laughs> she usually cuts it when I do that. <laughs> no. If anything, we're going to play it multiple times and increase the volume and put an echo and sound effects behind it. <laughs> so the boys choose canoe number six. It has a pink and orange freshly painted bottom. As all of the boats do, they have these fun, bright colors. Since both of these boys have the same weight, I didn't know this about canoe etiquette. We're learning so much about boats. The narrator says, since the boys are about the same weight, it didn't matter who sat in the back and steered. So I guess if someone is heavier, they should sit in the back, which makes sense so the boat doesn't dip underwater, I guess. I've gone on a canoe slash rowboat exactly twice in my life, so I'm no boatsman by any means. Right. I saw a canoe once at Disneyland. Oh, (laughs) impressive. In addition to the Great Salt Lake being like really smelly, I have a really irrational fear of large bodies of water. So I have also never been on a canoe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't worry. The mystery here does not necessarily rely on boat knowledge. (laughs) We're just getting a lot of boat knowledge. (laughs) Exactly. It's a learning experience for all of us. So Tommy, who shows to be a very nice guy, says, it's your turn to go in the back and steer encyclopedia. I steered last time. So what a great friendship. They share, they trade roles because steering in the back, at least described by the narrator, is the more fun of the two roles because you get more control over the boat. Whereas if you're in the front, you just paddle and you have to do whatever the person in the back says. So pretty sweet that Tommy handed this over to Encyclopedia Brown without any sort of argument or discussion. Right. We stand Tommy in this house. We truly do. So they're out on the Idaville River having a blast and they canoe up to the Park Rangers Station. It stands on a rocky little island and the door to the Park Rangers Station is wide open, which they think is interesting. There is a patrol boat that is normally there for the Ranger Station. It's usually tied to a dock in the front, but it was gone, and the boys were about to get out, dock, and investigate to see why is the door of the ranger station wide open. But 
it starts to lightning. So they head back. Tommy explicitly says, let's make waves. He yelped as the narrator (laughs) describes it. Yeah, I mean, in the horror movie, if you go up to the park ranger station and the door is open and the boat is gone, get out, leave, leave. Mm -hmm, Uh mm -hmm. Pretty smart (laughs) stuff. So they turn around, they go back to Captain Pete and they ask him about the open door thing if he heard anything. And Captain Pete says he has. He says that three fishing rods were stolen from the ranger station. Oh, Said it happened earlier in the day, the ranger had overheard a boater's distress call on the radio, so that's why the boat is gone, and then apparently he didn't close the door securely all of the way, the wind blew it open, and the ranger reported and I guess told Captain Pete for some reason (laughs) that while he was gone, he did see a pink and orange canoe boat approaching the station, so the only thing that they have to go off of is that it is one of Captain Pete's boats, because Captain Pete says that he purposefully used uses bright colors that other people don't use on his canoes. So basically all we know about the perpetrator is that they used a Captain Pete trademark canoe. Okay. I think Captain Pete is probably also the mayor of Idaville, Florida. So when they <laughs> reported it, they report directly, obviously, to Captain Pete. That checks out. Bonus point for Sequoia here, establishing the lore of Idaville, <laughs> that the local boat captain is also the mayor. It checks out. It tracks. I like it. Scores now tied 4-4. to four. So Encyclopedia Brown says, okay, who rented a canoe from you earlier today? And Captain Pete says, quote, the Baldwin sisters went out half an hour before you, and the Smith twins left right after them. And then he says, oh, here they come. So they're boating back in. The narrator describes these people. So it says the first people to dock were the Smith twins, Barry and Gary. No. So yes, twin boys (laughs) named Barry and Gary. Oh dear. You can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently people do do this. I know this. There's a basketball player named Victor Oladipo. He has a twin sister named, and I kid you not, Victoria Oladipo. Oh no. So Victor and Victoria, which is maybe better because boy and girl, but still, like... Anytime you name your children a theme or rhyming, like nothing will ever top George Foreman naming his four kids all George Foreman. But yeah, I feel like themed children is not great. (laughs) Theme your children. (laughs) We only know who Victor Oladipo is because he was on The Masked Singer and he has a lovely, lovely voice. He does. He really does. What a talented man. So the twins come in. They are described as, quote, powerful 160-pound high school wrestlers. Dang. Okay. So these are the twins. The Baldwin sisters come in shortly after, and they are described as Peggy, a small sixth grader sitting in the front, Nancy, a big eighth grader sitting in the back. So the twins and sisters come in, and they say that they haven't heard anything about these fishing rods. They don't know what is happening. Gary insists that they didn't even get out of their canoe, and Nancy, one of the sisters, says, yeah, we didn't get out of our canoes either. Uh Uh-huh. A likely story. (laughs) A likely story indeed. So the canoes don't have anything distinguished on them. There's no marks on the boats. There's no fishing rods there, obviously. So there's no clues to go on based on the actual canoes itself. But Encyclopedia Brown thinks for a minute, and he knows what's up. He says, when we brought the canoes in, we all made wet sneaker prints on Captain Pete's dock because of the water in the bottom of the boats. He says, you, me, the twins, and the sisters all made wet sneaker prints. Tommy says, of course we did. All of the canoes had the rainwater in them. And Encyclopedia Brown says, true, but there was one set of footprints too many, and they belonged to the thief. So I turned to the two of you. Who? 
is the thief. Okay. The thief is none of the people who were in the canoes because we're looking for a separate person uh-huh. who was not in the canoes. I'm, uh-huh. talk, I'm talking through it. I'm talking through it. Oh, you're Here talking through it. No, I don't want to. I don't want to give you any of my thoughts. My thoughts are mine. Okay, fine. Yeah, keep them in your brain. Lock them away. <laughs> I'm going to mind palace this. Keep them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think it's Captain Pete because Whoa. I do think the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> although I do think he is the mayor. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. You know, maybe his shop. He wanted to add fishing into the uh-huh. things that he could offer from his shop. But he didn't really want to buy the fishing rods, so he stole them. Okay. And <laughs> it is suspect that he happened to know immediately what had happened. Yeah, that is very suspicious. He's like, yes, I know exactly what happened over there <laughs> where I couldn't have seen or heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Kim, do you have a different guess? Uh, that was going to be my guess, but now I have to be contrary and guess something else. The park ranger stole them. Whoa! Whoa! Uh, do I have a theory as to why? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Now I will say, you are both incorrect. Oh, yeah. You have both earned a bonus point for wild guesses. <laughs> So (laughs) the actual solution here is that it was the sisters, and here is why. They say in the description of them that one of the sisters is bigger, and she's sitting in the back, and the lighter sister is in the front. If that's the case, the water in the bottom of the boat would have tilted towards the back. Uh So the person in the front wouldn't have wet shoes. When she came onto the dock, she did have wet shoes, meaning that at some point she had to have gotten out of the boat. And the solution guide, which to my thinking, wait a second, they point out even if her feet got a little damp over the course of riding the canoe, because if there was like a little bit of water left in the front of the boat that the solution points out, they would have dried up over the course of going out on the canoe and stuff. So (laughs) it was the sisters. I did think it probably had something to do with boat etiquette because we learned so much about boat etiquette (laughs) and the weights of the boys and Mm -hmm. the, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah. I mean, if I had taken two seconds to think about it. Maybe I could have gotten there, but I was just so suspicious. Just immediately distrusting the mayor. (laughs) Listen, I distrust all politicians. (laughs) Honestly, good way to live. So at the end of the second mystery, the score is tied five to five. This episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Much like this podcast, Magic Spoon is helping us enjoy nostalgic things that we love from our childhood, but present them in a way that are more suitable for adults. And I used to eat cereal all the time growing up, and now it's more of a luxury. I used to view cereal as like a new dessert, but now with Magic Spoon, I don't have to feel guilty when I have cereal because Magic Spoon creates healthy cereal. Yes, I'm not kidding you. It's healthy cereal that actually tastes good. I'm also excited to let you know that Magic Spoon has released a brand new variety pack now featuring the peanut butter flavor. They released peanut butter as a limited edition flavor in 2020. It sold out three times. 
Peanut butter was getting so much love that they have decided to keep it permanent and add it to the best sellers variety pack, which also includes frosted, fruity, and cocoa. I was sent some Magic Spoon peanut butter flavored cereal. I hadn't had it before and oh my goodness, I love it. I really like it as a dry cereal, which is a fun thing that I like to do with switching up the snack department. Sometimes you just want some dry, crunchy cereal, not go for the whole full bowl and milk thing. At least I like that. And I really liked the peanut butter as a dry snack. And Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. And it's only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. I'm also excited about the prospect of mixing the peanut butter flavor with some of the other ones. Kelly and I did that with our previous variety pack from Magic Spoon. So for example, mixing the cocoa and the peanut butter, you could get that chocolate peanut butter cup flavoring. Eh, sounds pretty good. So you can go to magicspoon.com slash meddling to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code meddling at checkout and you'll save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash meddling and use the code meddling to save $5 off. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Also, this episode is sponsored by Audible. We talk about lots of books on meddling adults here. I read lots of books in preparation for the podcast. And sometimes I'm not always in a particular situation where I can read a book. If I'm on the go, not conducive. If I'm cooking or doing something where I can't, be dedicated towards holding a book and reading it. A physical book is not going to work, but you know what would work? An audiobook. And the best way to get audiobooks is Audible. And Audible is more than simply audiobooks. Audible's new Plus catalog makes Audible memberships so much more. This Plus catalog is filled with thousands and thousands of audiobooks, original entertainment, guided fitness and meditation, and sleep tracks for better rest. And they also have podcasts, including ad-free versions of your favorite shows and exclusive series. All of that comes included with your membership, so you can download them and stream them all you want and no credits are needed. If you are looking for an audiobook recommendation, I recently watched the documentary 13th on Netflix, which is very good, and Michelle Alexander was one of the people that they interviewed for it. She wrote a book called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, and I thought for Black History Month this would be the perfect time to get it, and it's available on Audible. So if you would like a free 30-day trial with Audible, you can go to audible.com slash meddling or text meddling to 500-500. Again, that is audible.com slash meddling, or you can text meddling to 500-500. So check out Audible, get some new audiobooks and some other wonderful audio content in your life today. And thanks, Audible, for sponsoring the show. And now we get into our third mystery, the case of the three vans. Three vans. Three of them. I'm ready. I'm coming for you, Kim. All right. <laughs> this is going to be the time. This is this is your <laughs> this is your mystery. I had a warm up and now I'm ready. Uh-huh. <laughs> Canoes, they may have eluded me, but vans, I know vans. I know vans. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sequoia. I am named after a large car. <laughs> I know vans. <laughs> Exactly. All right. <laughs> and then we'll get to the fourth mystery, which will be about very tall redwood trees, specifically in Northern California. It's <laughs> <laughs> so the case of the three vans. 
The first thing we hear is Chief Brown getting off the phone, and he reports to his family that a man named Harry Dunn was kidnapped. Apparently an hour ago, the kidnappers telephoned his sister, Mrs. Allen, and they demanded half a million dollars in ransom. Since we've already done our Bureau of Labor Statistics, we know that this is probably one million dollars since about double, maybe a little bit less because of inflation, but a hefty sum indeed. Right. Dunn family's loaded. It's crazy how much crime there is in this small town in Florida. (laughs) Idaville, Florida has so much crime and it makes no sense because thanks to Encyclopedia Brown, and they say this at the beginning of every single book, they have a spotless record from the police department because any crime that they can't solve on their own, they bring to 11-year-old wonder kid Encyclopedia (laughs) Brown and then he solves it. So no criminal ever goes undetected in Idaville, Florida, but they keep coming. Maybe it's some kind of a challenge that has been issued to the general criminal community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like how the bad guys in the Power Rangers always have to attack the one neighborhood where the Power Rangers live. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, Mm -hmm. we gotta go here. (laughs) Exactly. There's a lot of crime in this town. There's a lot of money in this town. Like, what is the Dunn family doing with just like a million dollars? To give away. Oh, they explain it later on. They explain it. Don't worry. Oh, good. Hold for the text. I got it. But yeah, there are so many jewelry stores in <laughs> Idaville, Florida. Either that or Diamond Mart just gets robbed all of the time. <laughs> it's very large, as we've established. Exactly. A lot of diamonds. So they have demanded half a million dollars in 1990 money in ransom. So Chief Brown and Encyclopedia Brown drive to meet up with Mrs. Allen and Mr. Trad. Yes, that is Trad with two Ds, much like Bad with two Ds, the song by Mike Jones featuring the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Hopefully everyone could tell from my pronunciation that it is Trad. <laughs> so Mr. Trad is the across-the-street neighbor. He is over at Mr. Dunn's house with Mrs. Allen, and they talk with Chief Brown and Encyclopedia Brown. They don't question why his 11-year-old son has joined them. Bring your super kid to work day. <laughs> Bring your Encyclopedia Brown to work day. That's every day, though. (laughs) Very safe to do when your dad is a police officer. So Mr. Trad explains that at about 10 o'clock in the morning, he borrowed some gardening tools from Harry, Mr. Dunn, and Mr. Trad continues, he didn't answer the doorbell when I returned the tools at noon, two hours later, but the garage door was open, so I left the tools on his workbench. He says that he was planting in the front yard, so he was able to see everyone who came to Harry's front door. And Mrs. Allen says that this is good because she says that the back door was locked from the inside, so whoever kidnapped Mr. Allen did it from the front door. I also don't answer my doorbell, ever. (laughs) I mean, yeah, smart. Why would you, especially now? Yeah, answering the door in 2021? It's like when people send me mail for, like, important things, like a bill or something. Like, this should have been an email, please. (laughs) How dare you? So Chief Brown asks Mr. Trad if he saw anyone in the front door, and he says, while I was planting, three delivery vans drove up about 15 or 20 minutes apart. Ah, the three vans. Uh-huh. <laughs> the titular three vans. But each of them blocked my view of the front door. He says that each van had its company name printed on the side. So here are the three companies. The first is Bill's Fish Market. The second is ABC TV Repair. And the third is the Sun Drug Store. S-U-N or S-O-N? S-U-N. S-U-N. Chief Ryan asks, what order did these vans arrive? And Mr. Trad says, I don't remember. I really didn't think the vans were important. I didn't know about the kidnapping, which is such a fun way to phrase that. (laughs) Me? Oh, if I knew someone was about to be kidnapped, I would have paid more attention to what order they came in. (laughs) 
<laughs> I wouldn't have stopped the kidnapping. I just would have taken better notes about the kidnapping. Exactly. <laughs> so the other officer who is on the scene, Officer Kent, in a rare moment of the Idaville Police Department being competent, <laughs> says that he checked on all of the companies and all three of those deliveries were scheduled. So they all at least had presumably legitimate reasons to be there, or at least ones that Mr. Dunn wouldn't have suspected being weird. He knew all these vans were going to come. Gotcha. This is a lot of deliveries for one day. It seems like he was very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Really busy stuff. I guess he's trying to get them all done on the same day. Really productive Saturday for Mr. Dunn, I guess. Yeah. He's cooking fish for dinner and their TV is broken and that's unacceptable. Of mm-hmm. course. Because, you know, hypothetically, it's quarantine. They can't leave the house. They need something to do. No. So. No. no. What? 1990. 1990. 1990. No, we weren't always in quarantine. What? <laughs> <laughs> the before times? No, the TV. He's got to watch the Idaho Murder Hornets baseball game that's on the Mm -hmm. local minor league baseball team. So, you know, (laughs) got to do it. Officer Kent hands over a note that he saw. So here we go with another fun cryptic note word puzzle. Oh, dear. So there was a note written on a pad by the telephone. And here's what it says. It says, study outbursts defending hiccuping and hiccuping spelled in a way that I've never seen before. It looks like Hick coughing, H-I-C-C-O-U-G-H-I-N-G. Google tells me that this is the way to spell hiccuping, even though you can spell hiccup, H-I-C-C-U-P, but then at least according to dictionary.com, the gerund version is spelled like this. So I guess you could also spell hiccup like hick cough? I don't know. <laughs> Linguistic knowledge here at Meddling Adults. <laughs> We've learned about boats. We've learned about language. <laughs> Those are the four words. Each has a capital letter to start it. So that would assume that each of the words is like existing on its own. It's not like a sentence or a phrase. And then underneath those four words, so page break and then a word, is written crab cake. And then crab cake is underlined. (laughs) So Encyclopedia Brown goes into his mind palace. He's thinking really hard. He closes his eyes and then he opens them and he asks one question. Is Crab Cake Mr. Dunn's nickname? And Mrs. Halle goes, I've never heard anyone call him Crab Cake before. <laughs> That's a great nickname. <laughs> that is an excellent nickname. <laughs> She is very upset, and this is the reveal. She says that this is all the newspaper's fault. She says it printed her and Mr. Dunn's pictures when they each inherited a million dollars last month. That must have given someone an idea. So what's wild about this is, like, first off, they don't even do this stuff when people win the lottery. They try not to dox the people. But all they did was inherit a bunch of money. That is not noteworthy. (laughs) Especially because, like, maybe someone died. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Look at these rich assholes. Their dad died. Like, what is this newspaper article? I have so many questions about the Idaville Gazette or whatever the local newspaper is. Well, the local newspaper is probably like half Encyclopedia Brown cases Uh where they just talk about Encyclopedia Brown because he is the most interesting person in Idaville, Florida, 112%. Correct. They do explicitly say that Encyclopedia Brown always lets the police department take credit for solving the cases because he's a really good son and doesn't want his dad to look incredibly incompetent, which he is. (laughs) The final note of the story is Encyclopedia Brown giving a little bit of a clue. He says the word crab cake tells which van took Mr. Dunn away. The top four words give the key to the code. So similar to the fur thing, the 
four words establish the code, and then crab cake is what helped Encyclopedia Brown solve the code. That's why it's underlined. So I turned to the two of you, which van took him away and why? Oh, dear. jeez. Oh, or at least why does the code make it thus? Because you could just have 33.3 repeating percent <laughs> odds of getting this one right. But like a good math teacher, you need to show your work. Mm, okay. I'm feeling like this one is actually very, very hard or I'm thinking about it too hard. Like I'm like Encyclopedia Brown is so much smarter than I am that this could possibly be really easy. It's pretty tricky. I think it's harder than the fur one. And it was so hard that like I didn't even come up with a word guess. I just said, I don't know. Is it the fish one? Right? Because crab the cake? crabs. <laughs> <laughs> That was going to be uh, my first guess, too. But then I was like, no, think about this for 0. 0.2 seconds. <laughs> I don't want to think about it, Sequoia. I don't like word puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> then you can make it. What, what are you going to guess then? <laughs> I'm very sad that this is an audio podcast because the faces that Kim is making at her notepad are incredible. <laughs> Give you permission to release those to the public in whatever way. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll all have her recreate them. We'll take some pics. We'll post them uh -huh. to Insta. You know? Ooh, yeah, that could be the Instagram. We could have uh, reenactments and they could become even more over the top, like on one of those mystery TV shows. <laughs> okay, let's see. Do you have any ideas, Sequoia? Um, uh, currently... Uh, no. I think I actually have negative ideas at this point. I think uh -huh. that I have. It's, it's getting worse. <laughs> I do think it's getting worse as I stare at it. So I think I'm going to have to take a stab in the dark. Cool. Let's go. What's the stab? Yeah, here we go. Stabbing in the dark. ABC TV repair. No, that's what I was going to say. You know what? Maybe you should be a little quicker on the draw, Kim. I'm being polite. I'm letting you go first. Honor code here. I believe both of you, but what are your reasonings? That could be the breakdown of who gets more points. Well, uh, crab cake has ABC in it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> that is also what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm really mad. Well, guess what? You guys are right. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly. Could not tell you what the other four words have to do with anything, though. Nope. Again. So I'm each giving you the three points because close enough. But what it really was is if you look at the words study, outburst, defending, and hiccuping, they all have at some point in them three letters that go in alphabetical order. Oh. So S-T-U for study and then RST for outburst, and then DEF for defending, and then GHI for hiccuping. This is a terrible clue. So that establishes <laughs> that the clue is three letters consecutively in alphabetical order, and then the only one that does that of the vans is ABC uh -huh. TV repair. So Mr. Allen left this clue? <laughs> In the hopes that he'd be found? So here's what the solution says, which is great, is that <laughs> the TV repairman, it was a scheduled thing. He's there to fix the TV. When he bent over to do TV repair, Mr. Dunn noticed a gun in his back pocket. I feel like that's not so unusual for Florida. <laughs> But like a TV repair guy. But Mr. Dunn decided just in case something goes bad, I'm going to write this code on the notes. Oh my gosh. I don't know why I'm dunking on Florida. This is rude. So, I mean, I feel like if TV repair guy 
had a gun, I would just call the police right away. <laughs> but maybe he did know how incompetent the Idaville Police Department was. And he was like, the police department won't help me, but Encyclopedia Brown will. So I'll write a word puzzle. So maybe this was actually the smarter thing to do, given the circumstances of Idaville, Florida. Right. I mean, so Encyclopedia Brown lets the police department take credit for all the things. But really, if you're in the know, if you live in Idaville, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know. know what's going on. You know on. the way to get your crime solved is to leave cryptic puzzles that would <laughs> pique the interest of an 11 year old. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So this is a barn burner of an episode. We're going into the final mystery of the scores side eight to eight. Oh, dear. Here's our final mystery. The case of the missing shopping bag. <laughs> oh, it's in the closet. You left it there. Oh, wow. Three points a game. Kim wins. All right. <laughs> it's in one of the three vans. <laughs> <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown bikes over to Ike Ryan's house for an afternoon of chess. They have just started their first game when Ike Ryan's mother enters the room and proudly announces fashion show and she's holding three <laughs> skirts in her hand i love mrs ryan yes. she's great <laughs> look here children stop playing chess we're doing a fashion show the boys immediately stop playing chess mr ryan her husband who is seated in a easy chair reading his newspaper folds it up puts it on his lap and he says let's see what you bought dear what a sport i love mr ryan what a great couple Aww. so mrs ryan holds up the three skirts holds them up to her waist one after the other. And the skirts are tan, plaid, and gray. And Mr. Ryan says that he likes the tan one and the plaid one, but he doesn't enjoy the gray one as much. He says, quote, the tan and the plaid are lovely, but I don't care for the gray one. Just a great way to say it. And Mrs. Ryan agrees. She says, I don't like it as much as the other two, so I'll take it back. She really should have come in. She announces there's a fashion show. She gives out to everyone their little plaques that say one, two, three, four, five. (laughs) They all get to judge the skirts. Oh, yeah. Tim Gunn enters. He's here to judge. We're missing the music for this montage because everyone's like nodding. And then they're like, no, no, yes. (laughs) So Encyclopedia Brown and I go back to playing chess. And a little bit later, he hears Mrs. Ryan on the phone in the kitchen saying over the phone, quote, this is Mrs. Ryan. Yes. Good. In half an hour. Yes. I've decided to get rid of the gray. I don't like it. No, the length is all right. And then hangs up the phone heads into the living room, and she says that she's going to head over to the shopping center and then go to Grandma's. She says she'll be back around 6. Yeah, she's going to go ahead over to Skirt Mart. Mm -hmm. It's next to Diamond Mart. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, just wait until you hear how ridiculous the name of the skirt place is. No, why do we get the skirt place's name? (laughs) Incredible. So Encyclopedia Brown smokes Ike in three consecutive games of chess because he's Encyclopedia Brown. and It's got to be so insufferable to play any game with him. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, Encyclopedia Brown is so incredibly nice about how smart he is, doesn't give away that he's solving all of the crimes. He purposefully tries not to make a big deal of it. In the first book, it says that he is afraid that everyone thinks he's a know-it-all, so he tries to not act as outwardly smart as he is unless he really has to do it. And in a mystery that was too easy, it didn't work for the podcast, there's one where this person has a birthday party every year and they have a bunch of different games and contests and stuff, and Encyclopedia Brown does all of them, but he doesn't do the mind puzzle because he wins that one every single year 
year, and it's not fair. He is Aww. such a nice guy, given how smart he is. It's what a cutie. truly honorable. The inner life of Encyclopedia Brown. So cute. Hey, I need uh, fan fictions about Encyclopedia Brown as an adult <laughs> and please, as a high schooler. Please. <laughs> please. Please. So Encyclopedia Brown asks Ike if he wants to play a fourth game, but Ike says that he can't because he has to return a chess pamphlet, so like a book about how to play chess and stuff, to this guy in town named Hewitt Dawkins, which does sound like a car model in the 1950s. <laughs> like, oh, get yourself the new Hewitt Dawkins. It has 12 horsepower. <laughs> the windows roll down smoothly. He is described as the biggest chess player in town, but physically biggest chess player in town because he threatened to beat the crap out of Ike if he didn't return this pamphlet to him by four o'clock. Wow, there's got to be a better way to get chess knowledge. <laughs> it's also just so strange that... He needs it by four o'clock like Hewitt is a personal library or something. I don't understand. And the late fee is I'm going to punch you in the face is so ridiculous. So Ike is very scared about being late because he doesn't want to get beat up. So he hurries to the front door, but he comes back holding a white paper shopping bag. His mouth is wide open. And the narrator describes this as, quote, as if he had just bitten into a mothball. Why would you bite into a mothball? Look, I guess in olden times, that was a dare you would make someone do. (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah, that checks out. Hewitt Dawkins made me bite into a mothball. (laughs) (laughs) But Ike says that his mom must have taken the shopping bag that had Hewitt's pamphlet in it. Oh, no. He says that his mom must have put the gray skirt into his shopping bag by mistake, another white one, I guess, and she left her empty bag behind. And Mr. Ryan lowers his newspaper, and he says, didn't you hear her on the telephone? She's gone to return it. And Ike goes, where? And Encyclopedia Brown points to the shopping bag, which on the outside says... Just skirts. No. <laughs> no. Yes, yes, yes. Idaville is the most bonkers small town. I want to go there. Diamond Mart, Palm Tree Row, just skirts. The three business types. <laughs> So the bag has just skirts, a phone number, and an address all printed on the bag. So I calls the phone number, gets no answer. So Mr. Ryan, in a wild statement, says, I would drive you, but I'm waiting for Harry Clark. We have business to discuss. <laughs> so clearly Mr. Ryan is a drug dealer. Yes. Yeah. Or in the mafia. What the hell else can this be? <laughs> but he reaches into his pocket. And then, in an even wilder move for his assuming 11-year-old son, says the number nine bus stops at the Sunnyland Shopping Center. It is only a 10-minute bike ride from here. And he hands the boys bus fare and then goes back to reading his newspaper. So, I can't drive you, son, because I have vague business to discuss. Here's some money. Go ride your bike to the bus. Take the bus by yourself. You're 11. And go to the shopping center to meet your mother. So you don't get beat up by the chess bully. (laughs) Yeah. Here, instead of getting beaten up by the chess bully, get kidnapped. Yeah. The crime rate in this town is nuts. Do not let your children leave the home. Also, it's the 90s. Weren't we afraid of kidnappings in the 90s? Yes. Yes. So 
The narrator describes that the Sunnyland Shopping Center was a strip of five stores along Galula Avenue. Nice. Is this important? Not the Galula Avenue portion, at least, but it's a fun name, so I kept it in my notes. <laughs> Just Skirts was at the southern end of the shopping center, and there's a big sign on the door that says closed for inventory. Hmm. So the two kids go up to it. Ike is distraught because he's going to get pummeled by Hewitt. But it looks like the store has been closed all day, which makes Encyclopedia Brown surprised because it definitely sounded like Mrs. Ryan was on the phone with them earlier. And then part of the conversation, she said, in half an hour. So assuming that it only took her a half an hour to get there, it would be weird for a store that is closed or at least one that was going to be closed in half an hour to say that this is okay. Mm -hmm. So Encyclopedia Brown says, how about you call your grandma? Because maybe your mom showed up, saw it was closed, and then just went straight to your grandma's house. So I goes to a payphone, calls his grandma. Grandma doesn't pick up. Now, this is, I think, scarier than grandma just saying your mother isn't here. Grandma just doesn't pick up. I don't know what grandma's doing, but this is a mystery that goes unsolved. <laughs> <laughs> so they're sitting on a bench, and Encyclopedia Brown is trying to figure out what has happened. He notices that next to Just Skirts was a hardware store. I'm guessing this was called, like, Wrenches, etc. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just nails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there is a beauty parlor. So I guess this one's called like haircuts and more. Just nails. <laughs> then there is a drugstore. I guess this is the one mentioned earlier, the Sun Drugstore. Mm -hmm. And then there is a dry cleaner, which I guess is called shirts and pants. Mm -hmm. Because just skirts and then uh -huh. shirts and pants. And then shirts uh -huh. and pants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown closes his eyes, does his deep thinking, takes him a second, but he comes up with the answer. He knows what is going on here. So I turn to the two of you. Where is Mrs. Ryan? Uh, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's a dry cleaner. Is she in the strip mall? I don't necessarily want to give it away. <laughs> right. All I will say is that the stores are just skirts, a beauty parlor, which they do note does hair and more. So like it does have like a picture of scissors on the outside, a drugstore, and then a dry cleaners. Huh. Because I would guess that she was like at a tailor or something. That could be at a dry cleaner. Every dry cleaner I've gone to also doubles as a place that does alterations. Hmm. She's at the beauty salon. Oh, you're just guessing. Yeah. You're just going. You're just going in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have an explanation or is this just where you think she's at? She said the length is fine. So either she's at a tailor mm. or the, but she wants to take the skirt back. So I think if she's had it altered, that's going to be a problem. Right. Right. So I'm going to discount that. And then that means that I think that the length is fine means that she's at the beauty parlor because she's also getting or got a haircut. Okay. Sequoia, <laughs> do you have a guess? Wow. See, here's the thing is now I want to say the same thing that you said, but I can't because I have to be contrarian. So I have to say something <laughs> different now. Uh-huh. She's at Just Nails. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that she is running some type of underground chess manual distribution center Ooh. for her husband who is part of the mafia so <laughs> she so she has stolen this chess manual from her son oh, who was insane. supposed to return it to Hewitt Dawkins um, and she's like uh, he'll get a black eye it'll be fine rub some dirt in it and then uh, she has taken it to her underground distribution ring of chess manuals and that is my guess excellent incredible 
That guess is incorrect, but I have awarded you a bonus point for how buck wild it was. But Kim, you absolutely nailed it. 100% correct. Yeah, bud. She is at the beauty parlor. The length thing was about getting a haircut. So was the gray thing. She said, the, I don't like the gray. So that is also her getting her, her hair, hair colored. Dyed. Oh, yeah. Excellent. It was a red herring. Yeah, but a gray, <laughs> gray herring. <laughs> the other thing, the solution didn't point this out, but I did realize it afterwards, is when they say this, I was like, oh, yeah, if she's just returning the skirt, she wouldn't need to call them in advance and be like, hey, guys, I'm returning the skirt. <laughs> I hated it. You've done a terrible job. Just to let you know, I'm returning the skirt. So that means, Kim, you've won this episode of Meddling Adults with a score of 11 to 9. It was really close, but you've earned some money for the Organization for Transformative Works. How does it feel to reign victorious? This is such a rush, and it's very exciting to be where I always am, ahead of Sequoia in number of points. (laughs) Sequoia, you fought valiantly. It was so close. You did very well. Thank you. Thank you. I did try. A great effort. We've learned new things about Idaville thanks to you. The mayor is Captain Pete, the boatsman. So you've contributed to the lore of the fictional town of Idaville, Florida. Listen, I'm obsessed with Idaville, Florida now. <laughs> you created a new business industry of Palm Avenue or Palm Row. <laughs> Palm Row is established now. So you've contributed so much to this podcast. Thank you so much. But both of you, thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, etc., where can they do so? You can find both of us at Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them, a Harry Potter fan fiction podcast. We are at Fanatical Fix on all the social media, whatever. You can find me, uh, my podcast, But Make It Scary, a podcast where we take romantic films and turn them into horror movies. Episode four featuring Mike Schubert. Excellent episode. For real, though. (laughs) And I was very glad to watch that movie. Man, that's a good movie. The American President is very good, and it would also work very well as a horror clearly. <laughs> you can find that podcast anywhere pods are cast, but make it scary or at but make it scary on any of the social medias. Wonderful. Again, thanks so much for joining on. Listeners, thank you for listening. And you two really nailed it this episode. You were on top of your game. Thank you. You were able to solve a bunch of these mysteries and at least have very fun guesses when <laughs> you didn't know what was going on. And that just means the two of you are some truly fantastic meddling adults. Hello! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show, you can do so in a couple of different ways. First, you can go to patreon.com slash meddlingadults, where you will get early access to episodes, bonus clips, and we'll put your name on the website. And we'll say thank you at the end of the season if you give it the highest tier. If you can't give on a monthly basis and you want to give a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.com me slash meddling adults. And if you aren't in a position to give money right now, but you still want to help the show, rate us on iTunes, tell someone about it, post about it on social media. All of these things help the podcast a bunch. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so at meddling adults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and reddit.com slash r slash meddling adults. 
Our website, middlingadults.com, has more information about the show, as well as things like our merchandise. We have a Murder Hornet sticker back from season one. Whole bunch of fun stuff there at middlingadults.com. And of course, thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you want to learn more about all of the wonderful shows that Multitude has to offer, you can go to multitude.productions. I am a part of two of them, and I am very biased, but I think they're great. So thank you again so much, and hope to see you next Wednesday. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already so you don't miss it. See you next Wednesday for the next episode of Meddling Adults.